0: Welcome to Alaska's Political Pipeline. I'm David Bernkopf, co-hosting
1: with Rebecca Pulsha.
0: Good to have you here today. Uh, We do want to, again, recommend and ask and beg (laughs) that you like us, you follow us, you do whatever is done on your podcast uh, location of choice to make sure you know when new episodes appear because we are going to try to keep on a schedule now and get one out every couple of weeks at least. And it's a funny thing, Rebecca. Hmm. Yesterday, when I was writing up my producer notes for today, I wrote this. City Hall latest, quiet, except for the acting muni prosecutor Blair Christensen leaving in a few days. Before the ink was dry, we had received (laughs) tweets from the mayor. I think you probably saw that before I did. And the mayor said what?
1: Oh, that Nikki Shabaka had resigned.
0: Nikki Shabaka, the human resources. Human resources,
1: which was interesting because that came out as a tweet before anything. And the spokesperson for the mayor wrote me back when I asked for confirmation of that. But it was quite a bit later. And I thought that was, we're just going to go to Twitter now.
0: It's an interesting way to communicate. And we will talk a little bit about uh, our efforts as a station and an investigative unit to communicate with the mayor directly. But uh, I guess we in the journalism world have to get used to, if we're not already used to, the idea that there are many channels – for public officials mm-hmm. to communicate with their constituencies. And one of those is to just go on your own Twitter page and make an announcement and never have to take a question from us. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what happened yesterday. Or go
1: to media that's more supportive of you.
0: Yeah, you know, you go on a friendly podcast. Yeah. Uh, but so that's how we found out. And then we did some reporting. And one of the things that we learned um, after... We did the story yesterday at five and six. Uh, after we did the story at five, we got the letter of resignation from uh, Mr. Chewbacca's attorney and in that he the letter said that there was a uh, a demoralizing mm. uh, atmosphere working for the city.
1: That was this very strongly worded letter it was and what was interesting
0: was. That when you read the letter, you could have read that line many ways. And in fact, we had that discussion. It, yeah. it, was he criticizing the mayor? Was he criticizing the world? Was he criticizing the assembly? It, it wasn't 100% clear.
1: You know, I, I had been on set when that was kind of developing. So I came in, in it to it, you know, blind to the situation. And so I saw that. And I had taken that as the mayor's office was impossible to work with. I didn't realize, and because I just saw the statement, and I thought, oh, that applies to the mayor's office. And it was interesting to see, like, yeah, who, who are we talking about specifically?
0: Right. So I spoke on the phone to Nikki Jabaka's attorney, and he clarified a little bit by saying that Chebacca was more upset with the assembly uh, than the mayor in this situation, and that this was a that the entire situation was demoralizing, that he was not particularly digging at the mayor, but I could understand how people, including us, in the newsroom were not 100% clear on that when Mm -hmm. we first read the statement. He also referenced, uh, interestingly, the Joe Gerace story, which is what got the entire Human Resources Department in trouble with the Assembly, because the Assembly believes that there wasn't a proper vetting, of Joe Gerace and his uh, fabricating his resume. Gerace eventually resigns. Uh, The mayor says there's going to be an investigation into how this happened. And without going backwards into that endlessly, there was like one quick line referencing that in the resignation letter where uh, Mr. Chewbacca says that amongst the many challenges he faced successfully was a one-day turnaround on the vetting of Joe Gerace. So I guess that's as close as we've gotten to an explanation of what happened, that they only had a day.
1: Yeah. Which, you know, I I do hiring here as well, and that is a huge process to go through. So I was curious about that, him talking about the the one-day turnaround.
0: And I guess at some point, one would follow up if one had the opportunity to say, how come it was only a day? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that it was deemed a very important position, health director for the city, and clearly they wanted it filled quickly, but...
1: Especially because of COVID.
0: Because of COVID, right. So still one day, and that doesn't mean that you couldn't do subsequent checking. Mm-hmm. So it didn't answer all the questions, but it was as close as we've gotten to an explanation for how it happened anyway. Mm-hmm. One other quick note, Nikki Chewbacca did tell us through his attorney that the decision... To resign was 100% his own decision. Nobody forced him out. So there we are. We don't know what's happening at City Hall next. Perhaps by the time you are listening to this podcast, it'll be outdated because there may have been some <laughs> other developments. We just... Oh. I don't think any of us think it's over. No. That's what we said in the last podcast, yeah. and I'm going to say it again. We don't think that it's over. There's more... Um. more stuff to come out (laughs) and and that's just you can sense that uh city hall right now is not a happy place to work see what happens next yeah we'll see what
1: happens
0: (laughs) so let us move a few hundred miles away oh no no there's one thing before that okay the 907 initiative Uh we've talked about them before Uh they're back poking at the mayor what are they doing
1: yeah, that's the mailer going around right now. And, you know, it's funny, before we came over here, I went and was doing, going through all of their website. Um, and Aud- Aubrey Weaver is a former reporter who is in charge of this initiative and is the executive director. Um, and it was, it's fun, it's interesting. It has like just like a litany of things that the mayor is perceived to have done wrong. And, and it is encouraging the average person to mail mayor and ask for answers and to, you know, be upset about the Plough situation, be upset about Joe Drace, be upset about, you know, here's your your talking points of being upset.
0: But what is, they're not asking for anything on their website or in their mailers, are they? They're just educating
1: people? It's educating.
0: (laughs) It's interesting to see how they walk that line of not being a political action committee or a lobbying group and that they're just educating. And I think they are careful to not go across that line but it does make you wonder what the end game is if there is Mm -hmm. an end game clearly they don't like the mayor the 907 initiative
1: yeah so is it to get rid of him early or i mean because he's still got time on his term and you know it seems early to start a you know when you look at what like what's your goal here is it is it to get rid of the mayor before his term is over or is it just to set somebody up to be a great competitor for the next election which that's a long time to wait too
0: no but that's interesting it could be like to the broader public of politicians hey you've got people out here mm-hmm. who are going to support you start thinking about running against the mayor mm-hmm. next time again they have said they're not suggesting any particular anti-mayoral action they're just informing the public that's and all they so, do. and they spent a fair amount of money printing up a color mailer. very expensive looking yeah it's not you know it's not black and white you pay for the color printing and they paid for it and they've got some radio ads so once again like they did with the uh, criticism of snow removal mm-hmm. they're putting their money where their mouth is mm-hmm. so now let us move briefly Talk about what's going on in the state legislature where they're now clearly in the stage of getting down to business. Getting work done now. All the preliminaries are done, and we're Mm -hmm. starting to see what the priorities are. And there was an interesting – I I thought an interesting proposal that came out, came through a uh, state senate committee, I guess, to deal with the education spending. And the first bid from the state senate was to basically – give uh school districts another thousand dollars per student i think and Mm -hmm. how does that uh what happens next i mean that's just the state senate and then there's like a lot of parts here
1: yeah you know this when we had gone down to the session and you know we knew education would be the big the biggest probably thing to happen this session and When you finally start getting numbers for how much should things go up, that's when it gets interesting because, you know, do you – a lot of people want to tie it to success and and you get this money if, you know, or you get this money and all these different uh, kind of goals are met along the way.
0: So, it wouldn't be but just it, like, here's a thousand dollars. no, like
1: I would be shocked if it wasn't didn't come with some stipulations. and And the governor has kind of said so as well. you know, with that he won't he wouldn't give a number. so it's nice to have a number now, a thousand. um but he he didn't give a number himself or what he would like them to land on. Um, but it was, you know, what are what are the what are the goals we have for the school district?
0: Is this kind of an opening bid in an auction? It kind of
1: feels like an opening bid, right?
0: I mean, the House hasn't weighed yeah, in. Yeah, the House yet. hasn't weighed in yet. The Governor hasn't really. And this weighed is a conservative the House. Sp- right. So, 1,000, maybe that's the most that's even conceivable. Now, yeah. It's hard to see the Governor or the House saying, no, no, we want a fifty. No, I'd
1: dollars. make it bigger, you know.
0: But it's a long way till you have an agreement. I mean, it could it, it could be the whole session. And we mm-hmm. don't have an agreement. I don't know what. Yeah. I mean, it's such a contentious issue but when in the way the state legislature works i guess this would be my last question about this (laughs) because we don't really know much if they're talking about it as a proposal now Mm -hmm. how long does it take before it gets to where people are voting on something we talking weeks months
1: oh gosh that's juno that's the magic of (laughs) juno you know who's to say um I when does the
0: session normally end?
1: It should be the 90 days. But okay. what I have found is that things are very slow and then they are not slow. And and that kind of comes towards the end when people are looking to wrap things up. And, you know, you can start to feel the writing at the wall is there are going to be a special session. And you can feel like not enough work has been done, you know, I feel, you know, it's so so like now we're at the beginning stages of like, here's some opening thoughts And let's debate this, and let's debate this, and let's debate this. But how fast will work get done?
0: So your experience would indicate that we should not expect for our next podcast that there would be any agreement, but rather this will go till the clock tells them they must make a decision?
1: I think so. Yeah. Well, thank you (laughs)
0: for clearing up everything about how the state legislature (laughs) works. (laughs) While the 907 initiative is out there reminding folks about what's going on at City Hall. I am now joined by our investigative reporter, my partner, Mike Mason. I'm here. And we had an interesting, unusual uh, run-in with the mayor and his staff last week, last Friday. And I think it's worth explaining to people what happened because... It led to uh, some email exchanges back and forth between the mayor's office and our station management. and Mm -hmm. So we were invited, just to set it up for people, we were invited. The news media, not we particularly, Mm -hmm. were invited to an event at the Anchorage Fire Department. Mm -hmm. It was an announcement the mayor wanted to make, and it was billed as a news conference. And so we went as members of the news media. Which we have a right to do. And we made a decision to handle it in a very specific way. Mm -hmm. Why don't you explain that,
2: Mike? Well, we have been trying unsuccessfully for some time, for months, to speak with the mayor on different issues uh, regarding, essentially, the upheaval at City Hall and about specific issues as well. I mean, we've been covering... The ARPA funds, um, the money that was distributed as pandemic relief funds, the city got $103 million. And we've been following some specific things with that, but just about general things, we, we've been wanting to talk to the mayor. We have submitted no less than 11 or 12 um, separate requests for the mayor to talk to us on issues with no positive response. A couple of times, uh, we did get maybe short statements or um, a canned statement saying, you have to read this statement in its entirety. And it was basically um, a statement from the mayor saying all of the great things that he had done for the city of Anchorage that had really nothing to do with our story. So we felt like this was an opportunity for us to physically go up and speak to the mayor when we knew that he was at a public presentation because it had come to that point where we didn't have any other alternative.
0: Again, we had, over the last, I'd say, two months, Mm -hmm. made many requests. We'd even made uh, a couple of in-person requests at other events where we'd asked to speak to him every time we were either told no uh, or the request was ignored. And so when you get an opportunity, an invitation to come to a news conference, we decided to go.
2: No less than three months, actually.
0: Okay. So we go, and we made a conscious decision to handle it in a particular way. We did not want to interrupt the actual uh, event Mm -hmm. itself. So we decided going in that we would either, if we got there early enough and the mayor was there, we would ask him beforehand if Mm -hmm. we could. If not, we would wait till the that part of it was over and we would and, and they, ask our We would
2: ask our question. And we got there early and the mayor was talking to uh, apparently the fire chief. Um, it was clear that they were talking. Uh, they knew that I was next to the mayor. And they were chit-chatting back and forth, and they were very conscious that we were were there, and they were making sure to keep talking so that there was no lull in the conversation for us to have an opportunity to speak to the mayor. So I calmly went up to the mayor, and I said, I do not want to interrupt you, mayor, but I do have a question for you. And after a couple of times, he looked at me, and he said, "Uh, Corey is here for all of those questions. Corey Corey, being... Yes, Corey is basically his public affairs person. He handles all of the communications and the PR and the media outreach for the mayor. Communications director, I think, is his title. I believe so. And so uh, we had received um, communications from Corey in the past, uh, and Corey was right there beside the mayor. But we wanted to speak with the mayor. So I insisted that we speak with the mayor. The mayor then turned to me, and he once again asserted that I had to speak with Corey And I said, Mayor, I would like to ask you about the upheaval at City Hall. That was essentially the only question that I got in there. Um, And at that point, Corey stepped in, and that was pretty much the end of it. The entire
0: um, interaction. interaction from the time you walked up to the time you were done, and you were already then talking to Corey, was less than three minutes. And the entire discussion with the mayor was less than a minute. It was, you know, we will probably show the video at some point, but it was calm, respectful before the
2: event. It was you were it, persistent. It was I 10 minutes It was word. ten minutes before one. We waited, we waited, we waited, and then and when it became uh, like four minutes, three minutes before one, that's when I insisted. I did not want to interrupt the press conference. And I asked a question, and that was it, and it did not delay anything. Um, the press conference went off without a hitch and and what we did did not inter- interrupt you know the norm- normal proceedings of, of what they were doing.
0: However, Corey <laughs> Young then sent an email to everyone at the station on the news side, yes, uh, saying that we had been disrespectful to the mayor, that we ruined the event, and that um, we should not use an event like that to repeatedly ask questions of the mayor on a different topic. Now, this is a point where we want to be clear about how we view journalism, and I think how everyone at this station views journalism. If you're an elected official, and you have a public event, and you want to talk about a particular issue, that is your right. you speak about whatever you wish to speak about. But we have a right to ask about
2: whatever we wish to ask about. Especially when we have made every effort and have been diligent about trying to get answers in every other possible way, and we could not. And when Corey wrote that note, he said that we rushed up to the mayor and that we delayed the proceedings of this press event by 10 minutes. Entirely untrue. We did not rush up to the mayor.
0: And The event began, I think, at 1.05 instead of 1 o'clock. In any event, his perception might honestly be different, but we want to make the point that we have a responsibility to ask elected officials difficult questions. And when they choose not to answer those questions... That is their right, but it doesn't mean we stop asking the questions, and it was suggested in this email to station management and personnel that in the future we were not going to be engaged with at all in person. And we should stick to email, which of course has accomplished nothing, and And our station management responded by saying we'll continue to go to public events and ask the questions we feel that need to be asked, and they can choose to answer or
2: not. And I think it's important in this email that Corey writes, he says that municipal employees have expressed um, a concern. Let me just look at exactly what he said here. Um, have had many encounters uh, with myself and and, and David um, e- expressing frustration and anger over their exchanges via email and in person with us. And I find that hard to believe because all we've done is request information from other people in other um, departments and and, and in, in turn, I'm the one who's getting uh, cell phone calls from administrators venting their frustration and telling me that they're afraid they're going to be fired and they have been threatened that if they talk to me, they're going to be fired.
0: And that was the subject of a whole issue that we don't need to go into again that the ombudsman looked at as to whether someone in the mayor's office was trying to intimidate people from talking to the ombudsman. Look, I don't even remember an exchange with any city employee other than the mayor and his communication staff that he could even be referring to in there, person. There, there I, isn't I one. don't think that we've ever done that. We've no. had phone calls and emails. There isn't one. But I don't think we've ever had no. a discussion with anybody else in person. So enough about that. We, You may not like the news media. You may like the mayor. You may agree with the mayor that we were disrespectful.
2: But – We wanted to set it up so that when you do see this on air, you know what was leading up to this and and how it played out because it is going to be shown in a story at some point. So we wanted to give you a little background information.
0: We've made many attempts. We will continue to make many attempts. Mm -hmm. We will go to other events and try to ask questions. And once again, I'm going to extend this interview and I will follow it up through email. The mayor is welcome to come on this podcast for an unedited interview at his time of choosing, or we will sit down with him and do an on-camera interview because that's
2: what journalists do. And we can do it unedited. If, he would, if that is what he would like, we will agree to his terms, but we will like to ask him some questions. That is our job on, on the behalf of the public. Right. We may have to
0: edit it for the newscast, but we will put it all on the web so that everyone can see it. Yes. All right. Done with that. Now, let's move on to one other thing that we wanted to ask him about, and that was our most recent investigative piece that Mm -hmm. dealt with ARPA expenditures.
2: ARPA stands for… The America Rescue Plans Act.
0: And it it was Pandemic Aid… $100 million, a little more, that Anchorage dispersed. And one of the things we learned that we wanted to ask about, and Mike, you can explain this, Mm. is putting aside the specifics of our look at one particular charity, Mm. the documentation and the audit done for the city shows that the city can't even accurately measure the success of those grants. How explain that a little well,
2: bit? Well, the city did what they, you know, their own version of an audit where they went and they looked at all of the 63 recipients of the $103 million dollars that was distributed uh, to recipients back in 2000, the latter part of 2021. They, um, they had what they called key performance indicators or kpis they kind of like markers to determine if these people were meeting their their um, their their guidelines for success uh, reaching their goals and and proving that they have spent the money on on covid uh, related um, services and things like that
0: and measuring whether that money was not
2: only whether it was spent, but did it accomplish the goals? Mm-hmm. Yeah, was it was it providing the services and, and and doing and doing the good that it was intended to do, and so when they did this study, um, it turns out that forty one of those sixty three uh, didn't have uh, any data to. Um, Prove that they met their their mark, that they that they um, were able to meet their pandemic-related goals. So that that equals sixty-five percent of the total recipients who received 103 hundred uh, and three. Well, that was the first round, fifty-three million dollars. Sixty-five percent of those people who received fifty. One fifty, 52, A little over fifty-one million. Yeah, fifty-two million dollars. They didn't have any key performance indicators. They they didn't have any proof that they met their goals.
0: And so they, in this report, in this audit, th- the auditor says, "We need something more <laughs> in the future, right?"
2: Well, yeah. They said they th- basically they said, "Well, in the future, we're going to have uh, better." You know KPIs. We're going to have better uh, markers and 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 uh, ways to determine whether or not they're going to, um, you know, prove to us that they have spent their money appropriately. Well, we have requested that that audit. We don't know if that has been completed yet at this point because we have not heard back. And and in all fair in all fairness, I mean, it may not have been completed yet, but we do hope that. In the second round, in the next distribution of fifty-one or fifty-two million dollars, they do a better job of of monitoring that money to make sure that it's actually going where it's supposed to go. Because in our report, we focused on one particular nonprofit that uh, used their money in a very questionable way.
0: And um, it's important to note two things: the Anchorage experience. Is not at all unique no. in the United States. This is something that the Office of the Inspector General found was common throughout the country. They sure. were in a hurry to get the money out—municipalities, <sighs> counties, states—and so it was, you know, it was a crisis situation.
2: And and that you could use this money in a variety of ways that you know could seem to have nothing to do with COVID-related um, issues, but could be construed to be so. I mean. You know, it had to be spent. It was given to us by the federal government, but still- Get that
0: money out the door was the priority. But there
2: should be reporting. There should be something that comes back, some receipts, something to show, hey, this is how I spent the money. I went to Home Depot and I bought this stuff, or I I did this. You know, you got to show something.
0: Right. And again, a lot of these organizations did show, to use your analogy, maybe the Home Depot receipt, but they didn't explain- how that purchase had anything to do mm-hmm. and successfully dealt with pandemic-related issues. Again, that's not to suggest that all 41 of these organizations no. misspent the money. No. It's just there's no a KPI, no key performance indicator to measure whether it was well-spent or not.
2: Which means there's basically no accountability. That's the bottom line. So far, right. And we hope to get the next audit you know, it's disappointing. I mean, I, I know that in a crisis situation, you know, things happen very quickly and it's and it's easy to uh, Monday morning quarterback and say that this is the way we should have done things. But looking back now, we know what was wrong then, so it should be better in the future.
0: Right. So thank you, Mike. Everybody who's listening, please remember to follow our podcast, like our podcast, recommend our podcast. If you like it and follow it, then you'll know the next time we come back with the next issue, the next issue, the next edition (laughs) of Alaska's
2: Political Pipeline. We'll be here.